Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway North Church based out of Winnipeg, Canada. Your Sunday sermon, any day of the week. So I can tell you where I was standing. I was about 16 years old and we were on a youth retreat in a place called Cheshire in England with our church youth. And many of us uh, were not there necessarily for the spiritual aspect of the retreat. Um, I would say that there was a good number of us who had one big foot in the world and sort of half a little foot in the kingdom of God, which in those days meant that, um, amongst other things, uh, you probably snuck a bit of alcohol when your parents weren't looking and you listened to heavy metal music and other contemporary pop music or whatever they did, plus all the usual boy-girl drama. So we were there um, at that youth retreat, and they were having um, a worship service. And in the middle of the worship service, there was this quietness that descended, as it sometimes does, between songs, and there was this sort of hush. And, uh, you know, we were kind of waiting, but I don't know what was going to happen after the worship, some game or whatever, and that's what we were really thinking and looking forward to. But all of a sudden... Uh, one of the girls there, who was a little bit more dedicated to the Lord at the time than the rest of us, started to read a passage of Scripture. I can tell you what she read, because I don't know what it feels like, and if it's felt this way for you sometimes, but what it feels like when the Word of God reaches out and grabs you. It's not just you're listening, but something gets a hold of your insides, And it's God speaking to you through his word. And in the hush of that room, she started to read, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There's a hush right across all these young people. And I don't know what everybody else was feeling, but I was feeling, you know, whatever level I've got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God, I need to drag this foot that's in the world into the kingdom of God and be here wholeheartedly for Jesus rather than half and half or three quarters to a quarter or whatever it might have been for me in those days. I don't know what it did for anybody else in the room, but that's what it did for me. Get both your feet in the kingdom of God. That word has followed me all my life. Here I am 43 years later, and uh, even this year, last year, as we were going through things and praying through things for our province together, and we're praying in the city, came back to me again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. We're going to look today at where that comes from in the Scriptures. So if you want to turn with me, we're in the book of Chronicles in the Old Testament, which tells the chronicles of the kings and what happens in Israel. And we read some of it last week when we were talking about David and David's tent. We're going to be talking this time about the next house of God, God's house in the Old Testament, um, which was Solomon's temple. So if you turn with me, if you're going to read it with me, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we'll read where this scripture comes from. This is from verse 1. It says this, 
Solomon's just prayed a prayer to dedicate the temple. It was the most extravagant, beautiful, expensive, ornate house of God that has ever been built on this planet. was built by Solomon. And he's prayed this prayer of dedication, which we're going to come back to in a moment. And then this is what happens when he finishes the prayer. This is how awesome God is. And this is how much God wants to live and move on his planet and among his people. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It's an interesting thing to say when fire comes down on you. This awesome fire from heaven produces a godly fear of the Lord, but it's not a fear that makes us run away. It's a fear that does exactly the opposite. It says, I don't want to be anywhere except where God is. He is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to carry on, miss a few verses here, and come in at verse 11. So Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, God does all of those things. When his people turn away from him. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Because that's what God's after. He's not after giving us a hard time. He wants us to turn back to him. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. A few weeks ago, Chris encouraged us out of God speaking to Joshua saying, consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart, because tomorrow God wants to do wonders and miracles among you. Again, we talked about that, that what that means is that if we do what we need to do to set ourselves apart for God, then God is going to do some amazing things in and through us that will set us apart from other people around us. Not so that we could get swell heads and think what great people we are, but so that God could display his glory and his character to the nations of the earth so that the nations of the earth would turn to him. That's what God wants. That the peoples of the nations of the earth would turn back to him. So you set yourselves apart for me and I'm going to do some miracles and wonders in you that will set you apart from other people. And then we discovered a couple of weeks ago that the greatest wonder and miracle that God wants to do with his people is to come and live with them. He wants to dwell in the house of God around and amidst his people. He's looking for a holy house. If you remember, we talked about this. He's looking for a dwelling place, somewhere he can come and stay. 
And he's looking for a place that's in the center of his people. He wants to be in the midst. We looked at that as we looked at Dave, uh, Moses' tabernacle two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about um, a David, a man whose heart God moved. Do you remember we were talking about David's tabernacle, um, Moses' tabernacle? What is it that we can do to help build the house of God? And, and God had said through Moses, bring what you have and bring who you are as your heart moves you. Let your heart be moved towards the Lord. And then bring who you are and bring what you have. David was a man whose God's heart moved him. And he was moved when he saw that his people had moved away from God and they turned their hearts away from God. And he realized that the house of God had become peripheral. It had been off to the side. And so he said, let's get the ark and bring it right back into the center of Jerusalem. We'll pitch a tent for it. And it can stay there in the tent. And we're going to have worship and we're going to have praise. We're going to get people worshiping to their musical instruments and singing their songs. And we're going to bring the presence of God back into the middle of the people again. That was David's heart being moved. But that tent was never meant to be the permanent resting place of the presence of God. David had in his heart to build this temple. His tent was like the West St. Paul School between Panet Road and Capilus Drive. It was the place in between. And so he wanted to build a temple for God. And Solomon, his son, built that temple. A resting place for the glory of God. A holy place. A place in the center of his people. And it was a magnificent temple. And Solomon prayed some prayers to God because the issue wasn't the building for him. The issue wasn't how ornate and brilliant it all looked. That was not what was really mattering to Solomon. What mattered to Solomon was three things. And you can read it if you read the previous chapter, chapter 6. Three things he prayed to the Lord that he wanted the Lord to do for this temple in this house. First of all, he wanted God to put his name on the house. Second of all, he wanted God to open his eyes onto the house. And lastly, he wanted God to open his ears towards the house. He wanted God's name on the house. He wanted God's eyes on the house. And he wanted God's ears open to the house. And so when God is answering, he wakes Solomon up in the middle of the night and he meets with God. I don't know what that feels like, but that must have been pretty awesome. God in my bedroom. And he has a chat with Solomon and he says, listen, all those prayers you prayed, I'm answering those prayers. I'm going to answer your prayers. And he says to him that I am going to choose this house and I'm going to consecrate it. I'm going to set it apart. There's that word again, that my name may be there forever. Verse 16, I'm going to put my name on this house. My name is going to be over this house. And then my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. He's already said in verse 15, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer. You prayed that my name would be over the house. You prayed that my eyes would be on the house. You prayed that my ears would be open to hear the prayers. And I am going to answer all of those. What does that actually mean? What does it mean? And what can then mean for us today? Well, let me break that down for you. The name of the Lord over the house. As you have been maybe following in the news last year, the Queen of England passed away and, and the monarchy was passed on to King George Charles III. 
One of the things that you might not know about that transition and the things that happen is that the queen has granted over all her years royal warrants. Those royal warrants allow business people and uh, folks who, uh, who do things for the queen to put the royal emblem on their products or on their branding. HRH to, the royal, to a royal highness. But that warrant runs out when the queen dies. So all 800 businesses and brands that have HRH on it that the queen granted, they have two years to take that branding off their products. Or they can reapply, but there's no guarantee that they're going to get it again from King Charles III. So Heinz Ketchup are going to have to take off HRH for the queen. Bentley cars are going to have to take it off. Twining's tea is going to have to take it off unless King Charles III gives it to them again. You can imagine for people, particularly in previous centuries, what it meant to have the king and the queen put their name on your brand. And people would do all sorts of things to get the king and the queen's name on their brands. Take Jack Black, for instance. And those of you who are aware of the modern entertainment world will wonder what on earth Jack Black has to do with um, a warrant from the royal... Well, I'm not talking about that Jack Black, but I am talking about another comedian of sorts, uh, an entertainer, who was a rat catcher in Victorian England. And his job was to collect rats. And so he collected rats from all over London, including Buckingham Palace, and did it for Queen Victoria. He was Queen Victoria's royal rat and mole destroyer, which he emblazoned on his uh, sash around his red waistcoat, and he had a top hat and a, and a green jacket, and he would walk around like the child catcher in, uh, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and catch rats. And those fortunate rats that were good enough, he would actually sell on as pets. Queen Victoria bought two of his rats as pets, and so did another lady by the name of Beatrix Potter, who then made a children's book and story out of Samuel Whiskers based on the rat that she bought from Jack Black. Jack Black, rat catcher to the queen. He actually never did have a warrant, but he pretended that he had one because it was good for his business. To have the name of the king and the queen on your brand meant that they used it, which meant that it was probably the best that you could get of that brand that was available. And therefore, anybody else who wanted to be like the king and the queen and have the same brands the king and the queen had and the best brands that could have would go looking for your brand and buy your brand. It would mean you would have publicity. It would mean that you would have notoriety. It would mean that your sales would go up and you'd get looked after. Having the name of the king or the queen on your brand meant that your life would be changed forever. Solomon wanted God's name on his house because he knew it would change things forever because God would take care of his name. He would take care of his house that had his name on it. He would make sure that the house prospered and the house was looked after. The house was given everything that the house needed. His name would be on the house. Secondly, Solomon had prayed that his eyes would be open to the house for all time. 
number of years ago, back in 2005. Some of you have heard this story already. I never get tired of telling it. But uh, Jonathan and Carolyn Much came to us and asked us about whether we could have 24-7 prayer starting uh, among us at Gateway. We loved the idea of 24-7 prayer, but it was June. Was it June? July? It was in the middle of the summer. And we were like, well, it's a great idea, but bad timing. Because if you started in the summer, there's no way you're going to be able to get people to come out and pray and whatever and do 24-7 prayer. Well, they said, you know, we feel the Lord's spoken to us. And when people tell you that, you take notice. Okay. You have faith. God's spoken to you. Go ahead. Do a trial. See how it works. So they did a week, which turned into two weeks, which turned into three weeks, which turned into 13 years of 24-7 prayer on the property at Panet Road, people praying all day and all night. The light was always on. They were always people praying. And one of the things I would say to some of the people in the neighborhood when they would ask about it, people who don't know anything about church, I would say, when you drive past that place at 2 o'clock in the morning and the light is on, you know someone's praying. I've said that about the prayer tower over here when I've talked to the mayor and other people in the RM or whatever. I said, when, when that light is on the prayer tower, you know people are going to be praying. That's a good thing for your community. Because the watchmen are on the wall. And oh, how our country needs the watchmen and the watchwomen on the wall. People whose eyes are open, even through the watches of the night, and they are praying. Now, that might be a tall order for us, but we have a God who is the ultimate watchman on the wall. His eyes are always open to the house which has his name. The psalmist said, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over you in the daytime. He watches you over the nighttime. He will be the light over your life for all of your days. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God, he wants to have a relationship with you. Not a one-off moment and little bits along the way. But if you come into relationship with God, his eyes will be on you for all time. He will never take his eyes off you. Some of us can sometimes feel in our lives that God's taken his eyes off me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God cannot take his eyes off you because he loves you too much. And he has promised that his eyes will be open at all times. And they are. He is the ultimate watchman on the wall. His eyes would be open and his ears would be attentive to our prayers. Solomon has prayed the most incredible prayer of dedication. In his prayer of dedication, he kept asking the Lord, Lord, if your people are in this sort of place, but they turn to the temple and pray, would you hear? Because I want to make sure, Lord, that your ears are open. To prayers from people from all sorts of different places. And you would think, if you, if you think like I think sometimes, God will be open in his prayers and his ears would be open when I am in a good place with God. Then God will listen to my prayers. 
But Solomon was the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth. And he knows fine well that if that's the truth, God will never listen to our prayers. Because when are we ever perfectly right with God? And so Solomon goes through a list and he says, Lord, when two people are in dispute and they can't get it put right and, and they don't know what to do and they're at odds with each other, if they turn their hearts to your house and pray, will you listen to them? Then they haven't got it right. They're still, they're still at odds with each other. But if they pray, will you listen? Lord, if your people walk away from you, and because they walk away from you, they end up in famine, or they end up without water, or they end up in war, or they end up in some sort of other distress. When they're far away from you, in their worst possible state, if they turn around and pray to your temple, Lord, will you hear them? Will you hear their prayer? He's not praying for people who are right with God, that God would listen to their prayer. He's praying for people that are wrong with God, that are far from God, that have turned away from God. And he's saying, Lord, this is the way people are. They drift away from you. They, they go away from you. That's their natural state. That's what sin does. And wherever they are, if they turn towards you and they pray towards this temple where you've put your name, would you hear and answer their prayers? And not just God's people. He says, Lord, what about the foreigners? The people who live from other nations all around the earth. And, and they don't even know you. But Lord, if something in their heart draws you to this place. And they pray towards your temple. They're not even the people of Israel. They're not even your chosen people. But if they pray, will you hear their prayer? That's what God is saying yes to when he says yes to Solomon. Wherever these people are at, wherever they come from, whatever their nationality, however far they are away from God, if they will turn towards this temple and they will pray, I will listen. Oh, isn't that a lovely thing? You've got prodigals in your family? All they need to do is turn and pray. Towards the God of heaven. And he will hear. And he will answer. Because that's the sort of God we have. And so people did pray. From all over the place. Daniel was in Babylon. He was a Jew that had been sent with lots of others away. Away from Jerusalem because of their sin. They'd been kicked out of the land because of the wrong things they had done. He's in Babylon. In exile. But every day, three times a day, like a good Jewish man, he gets down on his knees and he faces Jerusalem because he's praying towards the house of God that God's eyes are on and his ears are open to. And he prays and asks God for mercy for his people. Even though he might not have been the biggest sinner among his people, he takes their sin on himself and he says, Lord, these are my people. We have sinned against you. Will you listen to our prayers? Even though it was just him praying and God listened to him praying on behalf of his people. I believe it's perfectly legitimate for us to come to God and say, Lord, as a nation, we've turned away from you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the sins of our nation. I can do that as a person. You can do that. Lord, would you forgive us? The rest of Canada isn't even asking for forgiveness. But we can stand in the gap. That's what intercession is. And we can ask God to have mercy on our land, even though we don't deserve it. Jonah was a prophet who ran away from God. 
As a result of which he was thrown over a boat and he was in the bottom of the sea. And he was right down at the bottom of the sea. And he'll tell you in his own story, if you read it in the book of Jonah, he was about to breathe his last. And he says, at the last moment, I remembered God. And I sent my prayer towards the temple from the bottom of the ocean. And God heard and sent a fish and caught him and raised him up. That's why today... Jewish people all over the world, devout Jewish people, still face the temple three times a day from wherever they are in the world and pray. In many ways, it's actually a very lovely thing to do. But they missed a twist in the story that's an incredible twist that changes things forever for all of us who want to have a relationship with God. Because God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. The presence of God the house of God on earth in a person now, not a place, but a person. And Jesus said some astonishing things. But one of the most astonishing things he said is in the middle of, uh, of, a, of a conversation he's having with, with the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6. And he says this, listen to this. I tell you something, something greater than the temple is here. Whew. That magnificent temple, ornate, brilliant, incredible, where people could pray, it had the name of God on it, and people, eyes, God's eyes was open to it, his ears were open to it, and people could pray to it, and God would hear, something greater than the temple is here. Wow, what does that mean? That means that however much God put his name on that temple and all the benefits that flowed from having the name on that temple, Jesus has much more of the name of God on him. And all the benefits that flow through the name of Jesus, who God has put his name upon. That means that all we want God to see about our lives and have his eyes open to Jesus sees much more than what happened through the temple. That means that all the prayers that are prayed from all the prodigals and the people that have walked away from God, even if they never knew him and have sinned and got themselves into bad places, if they turn towards Jesus now and they call on the name of Jesus and they send their prayers towards the temple of God on earth that is now Jesus Christ, how much more will God answer those prayers than even when they were praying towards the temple of Solomon? A greater than the temple is here. Jesus is here. He carries the name of the Lord even a greater way than the temple. God's eyes are on him greater than on the temple. God hears the prayers that come through Jesus even greater than when they were prayed through the temple. A greater than Solomon's temple is here. And he's here this morning by his presence. And if Jesus said astonishing things, then Paul says astonishing things as well because he puts an even bigger twist on it. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 talking to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Gateway North, do you not know 
that you are God's temple. If you've come to Jesus and you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he has put your name on his house. His name is over you. All the benefits that come from the royal warrant of heaven are yours in Jesus Christ. You can wear that insignia not as someone like Jack Black who's trying to be a royal warranted person, but you are because you have been born again in Jesus Christ to be a son and a daughter of the living God and we wear his name. For real. And the eyes of the Lord are always open to his temple. He's always watching you. He's always watching us. And his ears are always attentive to our prayers. We might not get an answer right away. We might not even get the answer that we particularly wanted. But he always, always, always listens. When I heard that word all those years ago, it caused me to move my feet, if you like. Lord, I want to, I want to be 100% in it for you. I, I don't know what this prayer and fasting time has been like for you. We're coming to the end of it now. But for me, it's been more of the same. And it wasn't necessarily that I was way out into the world and doing bad things or anything else like that. But just gradually over the three weeks, it's like, Lord, again and again, sanctify, set yourself apart, set yourself apart, set yourself apart. Because I want to do miracles and wonders among you. You are my house. And I want to do extravagantly amazing things in my house because I want the world to know there is a God who loves them. And if they will turn from wherever they are, whatever situation, whatever place, and they will turn towards me and they will call on my name, the name I have called this house under the name of Jesus, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Our time of prayer and fasting this month is not a season that has come and gone and it is the end. It is the beginning. It is the beginning of our life of being set apart for the glory of God in the 2023 and the days that God has given us. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Thank you for tuning in to the Gateway North podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from God's word. To find out more about Gateway Church, head to gatewaywinnipeg.com.